0: Good morning, church family. My name is Rob, pastor here at Capitol Press North Pole. It is good to see you this morning. Sunday before Thanksgiving, kids, you get some time off from school this week, hopefully. Hope you enjoy that. Um, I wish that I could claim that we actually planned it this way, but we're, we're really just not that good. But here we are, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we have a passage that involves actually a lot of hungry people. All right, we're here the the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Our passage has some people uh, showing up uh, that basically just want to argue and uh, enjoy drama. So that might sound familiar for Thanksgiving. Uh, We have Thanksgiving. This passage, it involves a lot of food. It involves a lot of, you know, talk about food. But also like Thanksgiving, this passage is about more than food. Right? I think we all recognize that Thanksgiving is about more than just turkey and stuffing. Even if you're here with family this morning, maybe you're not religious, maybe you're not a follower of Christ, you can recognize that Thanksgiving's about more than just turkey and stuffing. It's about the need um, to remember what we have to be thankful for, to set apart some time to do that. And it's important for us to do that because just our capacity to forget honestly. And it's this forgetfulness that Jesus zeros in on here in this passage. What if the greatest threat to your joy and your hope and your maturity and your walk with God, what if the greatest threat to those things isn't the politicians or political party that got elected over the past weeks? What if the greatest threat to your joy Um, Isn't whatever cultural group that you're worried about and their agenda? Um, What if in this Thanksgiving week, the greatest threat you face isn't um, Cousin Eddie showing up for dinner? It isn't any circumstances at all. What if our greatest threat is your capacity to forget and my capacity to forget? all that's been provided for us, all that's been done for us. That's what Jesus is after here in Mark chapter 8. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles, go there on your phones. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. Hear now God's word. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmontha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, And went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, speak to us through your word this morning. Help us to be those who perceive and understand. Help us to see and hear your Son and our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen two points as we make our way through the passage this morning. We're going to see that the protection, or I'm sorry, we're going to see the provision of Jesus and the protection of Jesus. The provision of Jesus and the protection of Jesus. And just a heads up, we're going to kind of go at a quicker pace than we normally do, not just because it's cold, but so that we can have some time at the end of the service to actually put some application into this sermon and share with one another the things that we have to be thankful for so that we can remember together. So Provision and protection. Mark starts us off by setting the scene. Again, a crowd is there. All right. Beginning of Mark chapter 8, a crowd. It's a hungry crowd. And Jesus actually says, I have compassion on these people. Again, we see the compassion of Jesus. All right. He's not just there to deliver content. He's not just there to bring followers to do what he wants them to do. No, he cares about these people's physical and material needs. Jesus is a compassionate Savior that cares. He says, hey, these people have come from a long way. They've been with me for a long time. We need to provide food for them. And then what's the response of the disciples, right? Verse four, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? (sighs) Right, like we're in chapter eight, guys. Think about all that the disciples have seen. Uh, If you'll remember earlier on in the series, we said um, we're going to need to skip some portions while we preach our way through this, because if we don't, it's going to take us two years, and some of you are going to move away by then, and so we're trying to go a little bit quicker. One of the portions that we skipped was in chapter 6, right? And in chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000, all right? Just important for us to remember that for those that were reading Mark, this would have kind of sounded familiar, Right? The disciples have already experienced a similar situation where there's some hungry people, actually more. right Then there was 5,000, now there's 4,000. They, they've seen Jesus actually do miracles and feed all of them. They doubted then, and they're doubting now. So we have a compassionate Jesus, we've got some doubting disciples, and then we see His power. Right? He's got seven loaves to work with. He's got a few fish, but, but he, he feeds everyone there. I love it. He sits the crowd down, and he doesn't distribute the food, right? He has the, the disciples do it again, just like last time, all right? So he's the producer. He gets the food to the consumer by sending the disciples to them, right? They're like the Uber Eats or the DoorDash, right? They're taking it to everyone so that they can see firsthand so that they can witness and be a part of God providing for the people. They see the power of Jesus firsthand. And again, as we made our way through Mark, we're making it clear. Jesus, not just a good teacher. Jesus, not just sent as a moral example, but Jesus is God himself. That's his power. That means um, his power. He was the one there that, that when all things were created out of nothing, he was there doing that. When you and I were created in the womb, Jesus knew us. When God's people in the Exodus needed food and manna was provided, Jesus was a part of providing that. And here again, Jesus is providing food for his people. That's his power. And not just a little, right? Look at his generosity. Scarcity isn't a problem when it comes to Jesus and his grace, all right? It says that there were leftovers. He started with seven loaves, 4,000 people, and there are actually seven baskets of leftovers. So on Thursday, when you've got those gallon Ziploc bags after the meal, and you've got that Tupperware and you're storing it all away, let that remind you of the extravagance of God's power and grace. There are leftovers when it comes to Jesus' mercy, leftovers when it comes to Jesus' power. He provides for 4,000, and there are baskets left over. We see this provision of Jesus, his compassion, his power, his generosity. Verse eight, they ate and were satisfied. There's so much more that we could learn from this portion, but let's let's keep moving on. Um, Jesus feeds, provides, he gets in the boat, and he bounces to the next destination. And when he arrives, we're told that the the Pharisees were there. We're moving from uh, provision to protection. So the Pharisees are there. uh, They're coming in hot, right? Like they want to argue. They've got something to say to Jesus. They've got an issue with Jesus Uh, they demand a sign. And really, when when you're going through the original language in this, you can see the hostility there. They are not sincere seekers. They're coming with an argument. All right, even this demand, this seeking or asking for a sign, it it carries with it this notion of control. All right, they're seeking to control Jesus. And that language of test there, they want to test them. That's not like an objective test. That is, they are intentionally trying to set up stumbling blocks so that they can discredit who Jesus is and what he's done. They're asking for a sign. And for the longest time when I read this passage, I was always like, "Like, what's up? Why are they asking a sign? Like, they've seen Jesus do a lot of stuff already. It sounded weird to me that they are asking for a sign. Like, they were there when When he healed a man who couldn't walk, remember his friends opened up the ceiling, lowered him down, and he said, get up, take your mat, and walk. The Pharisees were there. They saw that. Why are they asking for a sign? It's because for them, there's something different between a miracle and a sign. All right, for the longest time, I thought miracle and sign were the same thing. They're not. When they're asking for a sign, because remember what they do with Jesus' miracles? What do they say? Oh, he's just doing that through demonic power. He's just a son of Satan that's doing that. And so they're just explaining away the miracles through demonic power. They're saying like, no, we want to sign according to our standards and our criteria that you're doing this through divine power. And Jesus just sighs, right? It talks about this despairing anguish. He's, He's sad because they don't see it, right? Remember last week? You had this pagan, Syrophoenician woman. She wasn't demanding a sign, right? She didn't demand this big sign to prove who Jesus was. She just asked for a little crumb because she knew who Jesus was. And so he sighs because he's like, guys, if anybody should get it, you guys should. But you don't. And he says, not only no, but never. Like, you are not going to get a sign approaching me this way. Again, they're not sincere seekers with hard questions. And so he says, no. And then um, he gets back in the boat. Important detail is given to us, right? It says they got back in the boat, but they realize the passengers in the boat have forgotten to bring only one loaf. All right? Important detail. And, and here's why this uh, uh, we call this protection. It's because he warns them. He cautions them. He, he loves them enough to warn them. All right, he, he, here's, we all know that we care about people when we warn them of things that are dangerous. Sometimes I fish big rivers out west with my brother. All right. My brother's a much uh, better fisherman than me, and I learn a lot from him. And sometimes when we're out at these big rivers, he'll say, Rob, hey, this is a fast moving river and it's ridiculously cold and it's deep. So if you stumble while you're wading and the water goes into your waders, it could pull you down and it's over. All right. He loves me enough to warn me of that. All right. He's like, hey, if your goofy tail stumbles, it could be over. Jesus warns his disciples. He loves them. He cares about them. And he gives them a warning because he knows that there's something that's a threat to their joy and to their life. And he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. All right, what's that mean? Leaven, yeast, the active ingredient, right? The things that makes bread rise. So he says, hey, beware of the influence of of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what he's after is this willful disbelief. Those who who are just against me and my kingdom and are willfully not believing who I am. He says, don't be influenced by them. Don't succumb to that. Yes, bring your hard questions. Yes, bring your sincere pursuit of me. But Jesus, he's making it clear. um, I'm going to do a dog and pony show for no one. Beware of willful disbelief. The Pharisees, Herod, they, they would set up these criteria and say, unless you meet these demands, we're not going to believe. And if you're here this morning and you have a God that never makes you uncomfortable by what he says or does, if you have a God that does things out, if you, if you don't have a God that does things outside of your control at times, then maybe you're not worshiping God, you're just worshiping a projection of yourself or what you want to be true. Jesus says, be careful about trying to put me in a box, demanding signs of me. You don't set the terms, I do. And so he's warning them about what the Pharisees were about, what Herod was about. And then I just... the disciples' response, right? Do the, the do the disciples respond this way? Hey, Jesus, thanks for that warning. All right, yeah, we would never fall victim to their foolish influence. Do the disciples say, hey, Jesus, thanks for that warning. Hey, maybe could you pray for us so that we just don't fall victim to that? Hey, Jesus, um, could you explain to us what that leaven of the Pharisees is just to make sure we really get it? What do they say? Verse 16. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. You know, we have life verses sometimes. You probably have a life verse, some of you. Like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, maybe it's uh, Jeremiah 29.11. Like, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not evil, hope and a future. Like, those are good life verses, right? Sentimental motivational, aspirational, full disclosure. Um, functionally speaking, for most of my life, really, Mark eight sixteen could serve as my life verse, right? And he began to discuss with himself the fact that he had no bread, right? On a number of levels. One, because of the inordinate amount of time that I spend thinking and talking about food, and two, because of my proclivity or proneness to let my circumstances cloud out and cause me to forget how much God has provided and how much he's taken care of me. They, they, they begin discussing with one another the fact that they have no food. And Jesus, Jesus is like, guys, Why? Why are you still talking about this, right? Do you not get it? He like does this spiritual kind of physical for him. Do your minds not perceive and understand? Is your heart hardened? Like, do your eyes not work? Do your ears not work? Like, what is going on, guys? Do you really not get it? And then he he patiently walks them through the reality. Guys, y'all were there when I fed 5,000. How many baskets? 12. And I've the 4,000, how many baskets? Seven. Like he, he forces them to do the math to see their forgetfulness. And it is both at the same time, incredibly hilarious and honestly convicting, right? Because as soon as I say to myself, like how in the world could they forget all that? I remember a dozen times where I've forgotten in the same kind of way that I've been worried about where I'm going to get bread while the one who was fed almost 10,000 people is in the boat with me. Such is the power of our forgetfulness. And I'll, I'll finish with this. Um Forgetfulness is the threat that Jesus is after. Um, When you're anxious this week, when we kind of get anxious and worried, it starts with forgetting all that God's done for us. When you're unkind this week, like because things are gonna go south in some way, maybe it's on the the, the road trip down to wherever you're going, Uh, maybe it's in the kitchen. When you're unkind, it's because you and I have forgotten the kindness that's been shown to us. When you're obsessing over what people are saying about you and like what they're thinking about you at the family gathering, like when you have the fear of man there at your family gathering, it's because you've forgotten the approval, I've forgotten the acceptance I have in Christ. It's forgetfulness. We're about to put, I don't know when you put your lights up. All right, we're about to put our festive lights up, right? But even though our festive lights go up, for many of us, we're entering into some of the darkest and loneliest seasons. Maybe because a loved one is no longer with us in these holidays and it still stings. Maybe it's because cancer and mental health struggles are no respecter of seasons and calendars. Forgetfulness is no friend of ours in these struggles. And even when we're crushing it, all right, maybe you're crushing it at work right now. Maybe you made the basketball team and that's great, but still forgetfulness is a danger there because we forget the goodness of the one who's given us all things. All right, so my challenge to us is how are we going to remember in this season Right? And even more than the disciples, we're not just remembering baskets and bread, we're remember a body broken, a grave empty, a promise that one day, someday we're going to be where Christ is. That's what we remember in this season. And so that's why we put out these uh, advent devotionals for families and for individuals so that we can remember. That's why we encourage you to go to community groups so that you can remember. That's why we study God's Word and worship and have the sacrament of communion and baptism. All of that helps us to remember. So let me encourage you with this fact. Do you notice the last uh, kind of question he asked? Do you not yet understand? I just love it that these guys really don't get it. And and really, they don't yet understand, right? And they're going to forget again. But Jesus is committed to them and working with them. Here's our hope right now. Is that our life is not bound up. Our hope is not bound up. Our salvation is not bound up in our ability to remember Christ. It's in the fact that he will never forget us. That's what we have to be thankful for because, friends, you are going to forget some this week. But He will not forget you. He is with you. Our hope is in the fact that He remembers us, not that we remember Him. He provides for us, for our material needs, and He protects us. He warns us, hey, don't underestimate your capacity to forget. And be thankful that I will never forget you, He says. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a chance to just share some of the things that we're thankful. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the provision that you've given us. We thank you that you've provided your son for our salvation. And We pray in this week ahead, in this season ahead, open our eyes, help us to hear Christ save us from missing all that we have in Him. And even be with us now as we share of all the ways you've provided for us over this past year. and Give us an encouraging time together as a family of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.